It was spring, and the little boy picked up a dandelion. He no sooner picked it up until all the seeds began to blow in the wind, and he was left with just basically a stem. And he thought to himself, how is it that God can work with this and make something so pretty, but when I put my hands on it, it turns into such a mess? And he thought and he thought. And then he came to the conclusion, I know God works from the inside. I have been assigned a passage for our thoughts today that directs our attention to our working on what's on the inside. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, and we'll read together verses 28 through 31. Then one of the scribes, references made to the scribes, the chief priests, and the elders in the previous chapter, chapter 11, verse 27, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, those that made all the big decisions for the Jews in Jerusalem, Well, one of these individuals came to Jesus, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first, literally, which is the greatest commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first, the protos, the one commandment that is in front of every other commandment is, and then he quotes, From Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the protos, this is the first This is in front of all other commandments. This is the engine that pulls the rest of the train. Love the Lord your God. Now when we look at verse 30 specifically, we can see that we are taught to love God in a specific way. To love God with all of our heart. To love God with all of our soul. To love God with all of our mind and to love God with all of our strength. In our Bible class hour, we addressed our attention to the idea of loving God with all of our heart. In this, our morning worship hour, love God with all your soul. Now, here's what we're doing if you were teaching in Bible class hour. We're directing our attention to this passage in two different ways. First of all, we step into an arena we are calling interpretation. And we're giving a great deal of attention to the text itself, the passage, and trying to put our finger on the pulse of what the passage is actually saying. Then, having so done, we step into a second arena of interest called application, in which we attempt to take our findings and invite them into our lives today, 
in the 21st century, and in particular, into your individual life and mine. So first of all, as we step into the arena of interpretation with Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31... Let's think about what's going on in the background of this passage. Let's look at the context. And then second, we'll look at the text itself. In the context, there is dialogue going on between Jesus and three specific groups of people. These three specific groups of people are with Jesus as an ambassage from the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. The three groups of people are the Pharisees, verse 13, the Herodians, verse 13, and the Sadducees, verse 18. Now bear in mind the Pharisees, as we noted earlier, were the strictest sect of the Jewish religion. They are mentioned no less than 100 times in the New Testament, and you could summarize their existence or their philosophy with one word, piety. The Herodians are mentioned in the New Testament only three times. And you can summarize their philosophy of existence in one word, politics. The Sadducees are mentioned in the New Testament 14 times. And you can summarize their existence and philosophy of life in one word, privilege. So you have individuals coming to Jesus from varied walks of life with various emphases in their background. The Pharisees in their ultra-piety, holding to the traditions of man for their authority, questioning Jesus. The Herodians with their politics, more on that in a minute, questioning Jesus. And the Sadducees, with their privilege, their nose in the air, the affluent ones, with a question for Jesus. That's what's going on in the background of our passage. Now, of interest, what Jesus has to say in our passage has something implicitly for all three of those groups. For the Pharisees, who gave their attention to the traditions of the elders as their standard of authority. The words of Jesus rang true when he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord. You need to be listening to God, not man. And he went on to say, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Because in Matthew 15, due to their giving attention to the traditions of man, they had become very heartless in their religion. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me referencing the Pharisees in the context of Matthew 15. And so he says to the Pharisees, you need to be listening to God. And if you do, this is what God says to you, you need to love him with all your heart. But now for our morning worship hour, I want you to think with me about a second group of people with whom Jesus is engaged in dialogue. And that is the Herodians. Again, verse 13 says in Mark 12, Then they sent to him, Jesus, 
some of the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Herodians were individuals that gave their religious and their civil allegiance to the family of Herod the Great. There's a reason for that. I wish we had a great deal of time to step into the history aspect of this. And to all that went on in a 400-year period known as Between the Testaments. You've heard of the Maccabees and the Maccabean Wars and, and such like. All of that is in the background of a man called Herod the Great who was married a multitude of times, by the way. But one of his wives came from that particular Jewish family. And so you had several among the Jews that gave their allegiance to the family, the household of Herod, because of his connection to the Jews. They were very political in their orientation. You had another sect of Jews that were extremely political as well, and they were called the Zealots. They were the religious terrorists of Jesus' day. The short dagger ones, as they were called, who would place a short dagger under their garment and would come up to enemies of the Jewish state and would literally assassinate them. Interestingly, one like unto that became an apostle of Jesus. So you had some deeply seated political philosophy among the Jews in Jesus' day, not the least of which was this major party called the Herodians. And so the Pharisees and the Herodians, who were philosophically at variance, came together to Jesus. Religion and politics make strange bedfellows, as it was the occasion here. And they came to catch him in his words. When they had come, verse 14 says, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you're true, care about no one. They're giving him a compliment. They're saying that you're going to say what needs to be said, and you're not going to sugarcoat it because of anybody that's present. You do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. And so here was their question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? The pious... Pharisees were interested in the first component of that question. Is it lawful? Is it all right with God according to the tradition of the elders for us to pay taxes? The Herodians, with their political allegiance, were interested in the second component of that question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? But both came to Jesus with the question, verse 13 says, to catch him. Literally, to net him like a bird in a snare. To snare him in his words. He responds to their question. Interacts with the Sadducees. And then when asked what's the greatest of all the commandments, he says, here's the one that drives every other command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now in that what's called the Shema, 
There was an implicit message for the Pharisees. They needed to hear, listen to God, not the traditions of men. But in that, there's also an implicit message for the political Herodians. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God. Where was the allegiance of the Jewish heart to be placed? It was not to be placed with the Roman Empire. It was not to be placed with the Herod, the, the family of Herod. The heart of the Jewish people was to be placed with God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, God. Now, taking those two words, Lord, God, and putting them together, man, there was a message for these political people who were giving so much attention to the family of Herod and to the politics of Rome at the time. They needed to know that the Lord is God. Now, how does the word Lord spelled in your Bibles? In my New King James Version, the word Lord is spelled in all caps. There's a reason for that. It is because when we go back to the passage that is cited in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the word Lord, spelled in all caps, translates what scholars call the tetragrammaton, the four consonants, the covenant name for God, Chaveh, or Yahweh. These individuals of the Jewish background had such a respect for God, such an allegiance to God, that they refused to actually speak that word or that covenant name. Any Harry Potter fans? Okay, come on, I'll raise mine. You see, Mrs. Rawling isn't the first one to come up with the idea of the one whose name must not be uttered. The Jews felt that way about the covenant name of God. And so what they did to keep from uttering the name, they took the vowels from another Hebrew word. Shaddai. They took the vowels from that word and interjected them between the consonants of the tetragrammaton and created a hybrid term. Jehovah. Jehovah. And the American Standard Version translates it that way. Jehovah. But other translations will take that tetragrammaton, the covenant name for God, Defined by God as I am that I am. And simply translate it with Lord spelled in all caps. The word Shaddai from which the vowels are taken to give us the word Yehovah. Is the word that means. Almighty. Or not Shaddai, Adonai, I'm sorry, Adonai. It's the word for master. Chaveh, Adonai. Vows from Adonai, 
into the four constants of Yahweh, Jehovah. I am that I am, Adonai, Master. You can't even think of the hybrid term without coming up with the idea in the Jewish mind. God is who God is, and God is Master. Now, Jesus quoted a passage that implicitly said to everyone present, but what a message to the the people of politics, the politicians, the Herodians. Listen to this, Israel. The one who is, because he is Master Lord, he is God. He's the one that deserves our allegiance, not the family of Herod. We need to be giving our attention to God, not to the politics of the world. Are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you a member of the Tea Party? If Jesus were here today, he would tell you, give your heart, soul, mind, and strength to God. And that makes politics fall right into place where it ought to be. And it makes your politics what they ought to be as well. This is in the background of our text. Jesus with an implicit message to the Pharisees. You need to be listening to God. With an implicit message to the Herodians. The God that we listen to, He is Lord. God deserving of our allegiance. Now, as we continue, we look at the text. We continue in this arena called interpretation. We've looked at the context, those with whom Jesus is in dialogue. Now the text. He not only has an implicit message for the Herodians as well as the Pharisees, but he makes this statement to them. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Man, the Pharisees needed to hear that. With all your soul, ladies and gentlemen, the Herodians needed to hear that. The word soul, as used in the New Testament, is used in three different ways. Sometimes it's used in reference to the inner man. You know, as do I, that man is a dichotomous being. That is, he has an inner being, the real person, living inside the outer being, the body. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18. We faint not, for though the outward man, the body, is decaying, Yet the inward man, the soul, is renewed day by day. Verse 18. We look not on the things that are seen, the outward man, the body, but on the things that are not seen, the inward man, the soul. For the things which are seen, the outward man, the body, are temporal. But the things which are not seen, the inward man, the soul, are eternal. And so Paul made a distinction between the body and the soul living inside the body. The outward man, the inward man. Sometimes the word soul in the New Testament is used in context to reference the inward man. 
As in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, referencing Jesus, you will not leave my soul in Hades. Sometimes the word soul is used in reference to the life quality. The body without the soul or spirit is dead. When the spirit, the inner man, lives inside the body, there is life. And sometimes this life quality is referenced with the word soul. If you're reading the King James Version, back in the Old Testament, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That word soul, living soul, is used for fish a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 7. A living, breathing being. Sometimes the word soul is used for the life quality. And sometimes in the Bible the word soul is used just for people. As in Acts chapter 2 again. And there were added unto them in that day about 3,000 souls, folks. Now I'm going to suggest for your consideration that when Jesus says you shall love the the Lord your God with all your soul, he's referencing everything there is about you. He's referencing the inner man, interacting with the outer man, resulting in the life quality, everything there is that makes you you. You are to love God. The word translated soul is psuche, psyche, is where, is the, is a, this is the term that gives us the word psyche. Love the Lord your God with everything that makes you, you. In the arena of interpretation, we've looked at the context. Jesus is conversing with Pharisees, Herodians, Sadducees. He captures their attention with an implicit message for the Pharisees. Hear, O Israel, the Lord. You need to be listening to God, not to the traditions of men. With an implicit message to the political Herodians. The Lord is God. Give him your allegiance, not Herod, not Rome. And to the pious Pharisees, he said, you need to love God with all your heart. You need to put heart back into your religion. And to the political Herodians who were departmentalizing their allegiances, he says, you need to love God with everything that is you. Your domestics, your family life, your politics, your civil life, your religion, your spiritual life, everything that makes you, you, your whole psyche, love God with all that's you. We've seen the context. We've seen the text. Now, let's step into a second arena. Let's make this live for us. I cannot tell you the hours of meaningless conversation I have been forced to have over politics. Just to be kind. 
I can't tell you how many times folks have gotten mad because of things that were said from the Bible contradicting politics. I can't begin to tell you from 43 years of ministry how many times I've seen individuals march in different directions fuming with one another because of politics. I don't know what your politics are in Montgomery, Alabama. I know what they are in Huntington, Tennessee. It doesn't matter. Because when we step into the arena of application, here's what I want us to do. I want to give you one lesson. That's going to take your politics and everything about you and put it into place. And then I want to give you one suggestion that will help put that lesson into motion in your life. With that phraseology, love the Lord your God with all your heart, we learn that Christianity is a religion of emotion. But when we think about the phraseology, love the Lord your God with all of your soul, we need to remember that Christianity is a religion of devotion. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters... Everything there is about you must be completely devoted to the Lord your God. That's the lesson. Think about the word soul as it appears throughout the New Testament and see how this functions in life and in various facets of life. The way we revere God involves our soul. Fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Matthew 10, verse 28. In the way we are to adhere to one another, the soul is involved. Acts 4, verse 32 the brethren of Jerusalem, were of one heart, one soul. Everything that is me is devoted to God. Everything that is you is devoted to God. And guess what? That makes me adhere to you because our hearts beat as one. One soul. The way we fear God, revere God, the way we adhere to one another, the way we persevere in life is connected to the soul. Hope is an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast we read in Hebrews chapter 6.14. And then the way we are to shear away the world from us. We're told in 1 Peter 2 verse 11. Abstain from fleshly lusts that war against what? The soul. I revere God. I adhere to you. I persevere in life. I shear away the world and all of its evil. By being totally and completely devoted in my love 
to God. Your Christianity is to be a religion of devotion. Not heartless motion that sits on a pew a few times during the week. But a devotion that moves you to be everything you are. Brother Dan, in the arena of interpretation or application, how can I? Give me a suggestion. How can I be more devoted to God and have a religion of devotion? I would simply suggest that in your mind's eye, you need to reach up and take hold of the hand of God that is reaching down to you. Nurture your relationship with God. Brethren, that's at the heart of devotion. It might interest us to know that if we went back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we would find the word Lord 21 times, the word God 14 times, 36 combined, and we would find the pronouns you or yours 67 times. Two for every one. Two times man is referenced for every once God is referenced, and it's, it's kind of like this. You, God. You, God, you, God, and it just networks. You can't think of you without God. Read the chapter, and you can't think of God without you. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will be to you a father, and you shall be to me sons and daughters. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. You're sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus because as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Not only will God wipe away all tears, but read previously, God Himself will be with them and be their God. Revelation 21, 3 and 4, that's what makes heaven heaven. God is there and we get to be there with Him. Nurture your relationship with God. You're beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. Too wonderful for comprehension. Like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You're beautiful beyond description. Majesty. Enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God for whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. That's the heart of devotion. 
And that's what makes love God with all your soul pulsate in your life. In Psalms 18, as we close, David says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I trust. David, in Psalms 18, quotes David in 2 Samuel 22, verses 1 and following, with but one exception. In Psalms 18, he inserted a phrase before he started talking about God as his rock. Psalms 18 inserted by divine inspiration these words. I will love you, O Lord. Do you love God? With all of your heart? Reflect on last week and how you've lived. Do you love God with everything that is you, all your soul? If not, perhaps his invitation needs to be yours as we stand together and sing.